Today on Coffee with Contributors, I'm sitting down with Stanton Sharp. Stanton's one of our photojournalists here at Nations Media. He's an expert in shooting photos in the difficult places. This guy covered the Hong Kong protests for us, the LA protests for us. He's even been arrested on assignment. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Let's get to it. Stanton Sharp, right. welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Coffee really with here. Contributors. And uh, yeah, so uh, you brought in some coffee. Why don't you... Uh, Let's break this down for us. What did you bring? Yeah, this coffee here, it's, um, it's called Oraberry Coffee, and it's a Vietnamese coffee um, that I really fell in love with when I was living in Hanoi. Ah. Yeah, and it's a, it's a social enterprise uh, company, so they hire um, ethnic minorities in the rural areas of Vietnam okay. to, uh, to harvest the beans, and they sell it in like the bigger cities in Vietnam. So when I was in um, living in Hanoi, it was like my favorite coffee, my favorite coffee shop. And I think you've had you've had like traditional Vietnamese coffee, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, it's so good. So yeah, you love it. <laughs> I loved it the first two weeks. And it's um, strong. It's so strong. Strong. It's like yeah. it's like battery acid strong. So it's like <laughs> super strong coffee, and then a ton of um, sweetened condensed milk. Right. And that was amazing for the first like week and a half. And yeah. then I was like, I need like normal coffee. And this is your so this was my that. normal coffee that I found. And yeah, I just loved it. And it reminds me of oh, that's good. Hanoi, that's good. Like, it does. It has that. I don't know what it is. It's there's a there's an ingredient in this that's only kind of found in Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. Like I could have done that blind. If you wouldn't have said anything, I'm like, this is from Southeast Asia somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's a that little is bit, really yeah, good. It looks like really a little more bitter, but it's um, it's smooth. You know. So how do you say it? Oraberry. Oraberry, I think. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. So O R I B E R R Y dot com. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Well, Stan, thanks for being here. This is a um, part of our podcast to get to know our contributors, of which you are. You've been a photojournalist uh, for us, done some um, assignments for us, and uh, it's really cool to get to sit down with you. Um, tell us a little bit about conflict journalism. That's that's just what I'm calling it. I don't know what you call it, but you've been. Uh, you go on assignments to tough places. Um, so how did you get into conflict journalism? Yeah, so I, I always wanted to explore the world growing up. Um, that was kind of my dream, I think, even going back to like when I was a kid. I think I watched Indiana Jones a oh, yeah. hundred times. <laughs> um, the third one. The third one's the best. Um, but... Yeah, so I and I always thought that I was going to find some way to explore the world, see the world. Um, and I originally thought I was going to do it in the film industry. So I was working in LA, I was working on sets, I was working in offices, trying to work my way up there. And photography kind of was an escape for me at that time. Um, I was doing a lot of street photography and I was using it to kind of. Uh, just explore LA and kind of using it as an excuse to just go wherever I want and see whatever I want, talk to whoever I want. Like that's my favorite thing about photography is just meeting people and kind of just exploring new things. Um, and uh, I think I saw an opportunity with photography to see the world. And I think conflict photography is something that I'm attracted to. I like the, um, I don't know. I like the sense of camaraderie of working with people in those environments. I like the, I don't know, the adrenaline that you get working in those environments. Um, and I like working with, in situations where it feels kind of um, 
maybe a little more altruistic. Uh, you have people at like the height of their emotions and the height of um, what they want in their life because they're fighting for their lives, you know? Uh, maybe that's what I was originally attracted to in doing it. And uh, yeah, so that's how I got into conflict photography. Yeah. How did you make the the decision to just go for it? I mean, you left LA. Yeah. And had you traveled much out of the country at that point of your life? A little bit, but not a lot. How do you go from that to straight up moving to Southeast Asia? Um, so it was just a decision. I So when I was working in LA, I started... I had transitioned from working on like the business side of entertainment to working on sets. And I was finally starting to get some traction and moving up as like a camera operator. And I just like saw the next 10 years of my life. And I was like, I'm never going to leave LA if I stay here. I can become a really good, maybe like, well, I could potentially become a good DP or uh, um, camera operator, um, but it's not going to take me anywhere. Uh, which is fine, but I wanted to see the world. So I just said, I'm going to work a lot. I'm going to save my money. I got rid of my apartment and I just moved out there. I took the first opportunity. I have a friend who lives in Taiwan or whose family lives in Taiwan. So I jumped with him to get to Taiwan first. And then I went to Southeast Asia and just started covering stories there. Um, mostly in like Burma was like the first place that I really fell in love with in terms of, uh, their people and just, uh, I'm super interested in, in the system of government and kind of how uh, I'm just interested in the conflict there. Yeah. So that's a, that's a perfect example. That's a one that's very complicated and, and it's, it's a, it's a conflict that's not really covered in the West. Most people don't know between Myanmar and Burma. And I don't even know. We've got great friends there. We've done stories there. Um, so yeah. how did you involve yourself in that conflict and try to make sense of it? Where did you find the stories to go and go and shoot? How did, I, I'm sure you've met Dave Eubank. We have a yeah. common friend there. So how did yeah. you meet Dave? Like, tell us, tell us about that era of your life. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah. So, so Burma would be like the first place that I just went to and said, I'm going to cover this topic. And I had no idea what I was doing. Right. So it was mostly just reading on the internet when I was in, when I'd first gotten to Asia, I was like, well, I'm here. What's something I can cover? And I started reading about the Rohingya. Mm-hmm. Those are the people in, in the tribe are uh, in, in northern Myanmar, right? Northern yeah, Burma? they're in like the northwest, kind of at the border of Bangladesh. And they're a Muslim minority population um, who have been kind of used as scapegoats by the Burmese government. Um, and they faced a lot of oppression. And they've uh, in the last couple of years, they've pretty much faced like a new genocide by the Burmese government. Um and yeah, it was just such a huge topic and such like a horrible thing that was going on there. Yet I knew nothing about it until I got to Asia. I don't know. And I don't think that many people really, I think in 2017, it hit international news um, because there's a huge exodus to Bangladesh from Myanmar because they were being murdered in Myanmar. Um, but yeah, my first story was to try to go cover that. So I just took a plane up to the northwest of, of Burma by myself and I just... Uh, didn't really get that much of a story. You just got off the plane and like, yeah, I better get a hotel room and and just start figuring this out. Yeah, it was just kind of like you just start like <laughs> it was stupid because I didn't get <laughs> I didn't get a great story. Uh, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't aware if there was any danger. I wasn't aware of it. I kind of just said, you know, this is what I want to do, and I'm gonna. I know I'm green. I'm just gonna put a blind eye to what I'm doing and just get out there. And so you're, I, you're okay with failure and making mistakes. Yeah, but oh, in definitely. The, but yeah. in the process, like you've 
grown and you've uh, matured and you've uh, you now have that on your resume. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was exciting. So uh, Burma and Myanmar are confusing. Why don't you explain that? Uh, yeah, okay. So I, I call it Burma sometimes. I guess so it was called Burma back when the British, it was a British colony. Uh, and Burmese is the main ethnic majority in Myanmar are Burmese people or Burman people, I think. Um, so when, I'm not sure what year, when the British left, sometime after that, they, 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 they renamed the country Myanmar, which is like, I'm pretty sure like the old, like one of the old ancient kingdoms in that area. Okay. Like Myanmar was like, an, it's kind of like anchor for, for Cambodians, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, so some people will call it Myanmar. Some people will call it Burma. Um, like if you were the FBR, they will always call it Burma because I think almost in a way to protest the Burmese government because they renamed it Myanmar and under that name, um, they, there's been a lot of atrocities have been committed to the ethnic minorities that all live on the borders of the country. So, so how did you meet Dave Eubank? Um, so I was in, I was in Thailand and I met a guy, (laughs) uh, I met a guy, we were both working at a coffee shop and I was kind of telling him about what I wanted to do and what I was doing. Um, in FBR, uh, Freebird Rangers, they are, they're based in Northern Thailand in Chiang Mai. And this guy that I met was from there and he's like, you have to go talk to FBR. Like they're the guys you want to be with. They're the best. Like I'm good friends with all of them. So, so I took his advice. I reached out to them flew up to Chiang Mai and like met him for a meeting. Uh, and then I did my first story with them. There's, uh, there's the FBR, you know, Dawa camp, the FBR training camp. It's oh, at yeah. the border of Thailand and, uh, Myanmar. Yeah. Um, I went there with a trip for them while they were training some of the minority groups. They trained them how to document atrocities committed by the Burmese government. They teach them how to defend themselves. They teach them, uh, um, medical work. They, they kind of just give them like a general training and I was kind of documenting some of their training. Um, and I think my, the biggest thing I covered there was they had like a final training exercise, which was like a 24 hour trek through the jungle doing different practices. And I just kind of tagged along and was photographing. Um, and that was great. Uh, and yeah, that was my first trip with them. And then, uh, the beginning of this year, I went to Syria and Iraq with them, which was a great experience as well. Um, during that Turkish uprising kind of when Turkey was attacking Northern Syria. Yeah. It was like, it was kind of after that. So they had an initial attack and FBR was there. That was when I was in Hong Kong covering the protests. Um, then they went back in January and February and there was still some fighting going on. And to this day, there's still some fighting going on, but, um, yeah. So friendship with Dave Eubank, it's never a dull moment. <laughs> I'm always, every time he texts, I'm like, uh oh, what? Where am I going next? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, so wild. He is wild. Yeah. I love that guy. Hey, uh, so tell us. Um, we got to know each other. First thing that we worked on together was the Hong Kong story. Is that right, or was it mm-hmm. was it Syria? Hong Kong. Hong Kong yeah, was Hong first. Kong, yeah. Okay. Um, how did you end up in Hong Kong? You were there for quite a while, and uh, tell us about that whole experience. Yeah, so I was there from. Um, about August to December of last year, I was covering the anti-extradition protests. That was a, that was an incredible experience. Um, oh, there's so much to say about it. I uh, it was the first time I had covered. It was pretty much the first, yeah, the first time I had covered riots and protesting to that scale. Um, 
And it was kind of when I started really getting on the map of, cause I, I started shooting uh, refugee conflict work probably only about two and a half years ago. Okay. Um, and Hong Kong was the first thing that kind of got me on the map a little bit um, for my work. And uh, so it's kind of been, it was kind of the intro into like, this is a career. Yeah. So, so I don't know, but there's a lot of things I can say about Hong Kong. And <laughs> there's a, uh, yeah, done. When you're uh, when you're in these situations like Hong Kong, um, I'm curious. How do you? I mean, uh, I've had one instance where I've been in like kind of a an uprising in Palestine, um, and it was chaotic and it was exciting and it was the crowd was moving and you, you're trying to. I'm trying to figure out who's on what side. And um, so when you're in those situations, when you have a whole country rising up basically and protesting. How do you make decisions in the heat of the moment? How do you, like, do you have this, uh, do you have a rule set or, a, you know, like, um, what do you try to, yeah, I guess my question is how do you, how do you make decisions in those high stress situations? Mm. Yeah, it's just instinct, I think. I think it's instinct mixed with just the more you're around it, the more you understand it. Um, I think I've been around it enough in the last year and a half where, I feel like I, I feel pretty safe where I am because I can kind of judge where maybe something dangerous, like someone throwing something, um, where the police are going to come from, where, when it's going to get more violent. Um, you can kind of feel the tone of the crowd and know when it's going to escalate. And I think that's something that natural instinct, like your body will kick in and understand what's going on. But I think also with, uh, with experience, you kind of can start to like kind of uh, preemptively um, understand the situation and kind of know what's going to happen and kind of be a, a step ahead of the situation. So I feel pretty safe covering that stuff. I think, uh, a lot of it, though it looks crazy, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of order and kind of an order of operations by mm -hmm. police. And there's, and because of that, there's almost an order of operations and reaction from the crowds. Right. Okay. So there is a way to like, keep yourself safe. So you, uh, during the LA George Floyd, um, protests and riots, you or not riots, protests, um, you were arrested. So tell yeah. us about, <laughs> tell us about that whole day. I, I'm laughing just because, uh, uh, not because of the severity of the situation, but like you're our first photojournalist who's been arrested. So it's kind of a, kind of a badge of honor for us here at nation's media. Yeah. So I want to, uh, yeah, th thank you for putting your own neck on the line to cover a story. Yeah. yeah that's, that's pretty definitely. cool. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was not a fun experience. It was, so what, what I was doing was I was covering a peaceful protest in Hollywood and there were about 500 protesters and, um, they, there was a curfew that was set in place because the couple days leading up to that day were pretty, um, were pretty, I guess, dangerous and there was a lot of destruction and a ton of looting going on. So, uh, LA put a curfew in place and this day was all peaceful protests, just people with, you know, uh, banners and posts and chants just walking around LA, not causing any destruction, but they refused to go home after the curfew. And, um, the police started making arrests at that time. And what I did was when this massive group got kind of cornered by the police, a small group of protesters decided to make a, a sprint for it. And I just saw them and I just kind of ran with them. And I ran with them down these alleys. They were trying to hop over fences and stuff. And eventually they had nowhere to go. 
So they got cornered by a smaller group of police in a parking lot, and they were all forced to get on their, you know, lie down on their stomachs, and they'd one by one they would cuff them, and uh, and process them, or yeah, and process them. And um, I was filming it, I was photographing it, and I decided to go live on Instagram just so people could see. Right. Um, and it was fine. I was I was uh, working with the police. Uh, we were for the most part, amicable. While did they I was know you there. were media? Did you have any identification? Did that matter? Yeah, I did have, I had credentials. It wasn't like the LAPD approved credentials. I, I honestly didn't think I needed it. Didn't want to put the time in to do that because I had flown into LA and I started shooting and I was shooting until like 4 a.m. and then editing and then going back out at like 12 p.m. the next day. Right. I was like, I'm not going to waste any time for that. Um, because it was fine because I had so many interactions with police before and they were like, oh yeah, those credentials are totally fine. You're okay. Um, but then on that, on that day when I was filming the arrests, the police started, they started pushing me back further and further. And one policeman would say, go stand over there by that car. And I would go over there. And then another policeman would be like, go stand over there. And then another policeman would be like, actually get behind the car, get behind like the fence, get on the sidewalk. And eventually I couldn't get a shot. So I was just, I just said, no, I'm not leaving. I'm going to, I'm going to stand right here and get a shot. And we kind of started tussling. And meanwhile, this is all live. So I'm sure there's a video I could send you, but, <laughs> um, yeah, eventually I think they just got annoyed and they said, and they arrested me and their reasoning was because I didn't have an LA approved LAPD approved, uh, press pass. Okay. Um, Which is such a funny thing. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, press passes are pretty much a joke. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go online and print one off. And yeah. So, you know, most kid, kids will do that to sneak into concerts and pretend to be journalists. I saw someone with a press pass that was just like an orange piece of paper that said press on it. <laughs> <laughs> that works, right? It works, yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. I may or may not have uh, pretended to be uh, a photojournalist um, and to go interview. Uh, remember the rapper Sir Mix-a-Lot? Yeah. 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 That's, that's a whole other podcast. But, Did you uh, get the interview? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's pretty funny. So that's I actually so ended up seeing him years later, too, and he, he remembered it. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool. Anyways, we, let's, we're getting off topic here. Um, yeah. All right. This, this question is like from every mom out there. How do you stay safe in places like Syria and Hong Kong riots and the jungles of Burma? Like, what is it? Let, let's start by saying this. How do you stay safe? in a place like Syria. It's, you're dealing with militaries, you're dealing with people who are actually dying, and how do you, how do you protect yourself in those situations when you're on assignment? Um, well, when I was there, luckily I was with a group of people that really knew what they were doing. How do you know that they know what they're doing? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just knew their track, the FBR didn't know their track record. Um, someone, there was a photographer there who made a joke. He's like, I've never... I've never felt so safe and at the same time so in danger than when I'm with uh, FBR because, you know, like, you know, Dave and, you know, the team, like they go there, they go to the front line of whatever, whatever conflict is happening, where there's the big conflict, that's exactly where they're going. And I think usually you'll see people running away and that's when they're going towards it. Um, So they do, I mean, they, I knew that when I was going on that trip that there was potentially some risk to safety. Um, but I think, I mean, how can you do conflict photography and not expect that there's some danger? But, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think you have to be responsible. And I think it's covering something like the George Floyd protests, I would be a little more careless, like with my press pass. Like I would say, you know what, if I do get arrested, I know I'm going to be fine. You know, the charges were dropped. Like, right. like 
I was okay. And you can take some more risks and kind of be a little more cavalier. But I think if you're in a place like Syria, you got to just, you have to be on top of it, you know? Yeah. You can't be like uh, lackadaisical or you can't be uh, apathetic. You know, you just got to be every day you wake up and you got to be on. Yeah. 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 Surround yourself with good people. I mean, like, you know, knowing Dave, like he's, he's very thoughtful about what he's done. He's obviously his age. He's been doing this a long time and he's still around. Yeah. Uh, but the other, there are risks. I mean, what the month prior to you being there, his, the, his videographer was, was killed yeah. um, on assignment. And so um, there will be risks, but that's, I guess maybe you feel like that's part of your calling. Like, would, are you willing to give your life for um, what it is that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, Yeah. I, I don't think I've never faced a moment where I saw my life flash before my eyes where I, I thought this is the moment I'm going to die. Um, I've been in moments that were frightening, but I've always thought, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is what I want to do. It's, it's what I'm passionate about. I don't know anything else that could make me click the way that I feel like. Yeah. Are there any moments where you feel like that fear is like, have you ever said like, no, I'm not doing that. Like that's, been in a situation where like I could go further I could put myself in more danger I could get maybe a better shot but that's too dangerous um I'm sure like the older I get the more (laughs) I start saying that um how old are you I'm 30 30 30 yeah yeah dirty 30 (laughs) (laughs) um yeah uh yeah I don't know I think I think um being green and keep in mind I've only done this for about a little over two years, two and a half years. Right. So I'm, I still consider myself super green in terms of, uh, what I've experienced, what I've shot. I've definitely done a lot in the small amount of time. Um, but I have noticed like, especially I guess even say in the last few months, I do think a lot more about my actions. Like I would never go, you definitely have to take risks when you're doing this kind of stuff. You have to take calculated risks. Um, I don't think I'd be willing to be the kid that just, buys a ticket to Syria and shows up and starts filming, you know? Right. Um, I wouldn't want to, I don't see the point in doing that anymore. Um, but yeah, I definitely am. I'm still willing to take uh, risks to, to get the story that I care about. And I think you have to care about the the people and the story you're covering. So yeah, if you're out there just to get a conflict shot, then I, you know, that doesn't seem worth it to me, you know? That's so. good. What advice would you give to um, artists and, uh, photographers who want to do more, take more risk in their photography. What, what's maybe accessible steps would you, uh, would you give us who, who want to, you know, kind of go down that road a little bit more? Um, I would say that there's no right way to do it. There's only doing it. Um, I, I think everyone, I don't know if, if you still do, but like, I'm always struggling with like thinking, can I actually do this or right. is this possible or should I do this? Um, so that's, you never escape that. I, yeah, I can't. I have, I can't yeah. I'm only 12 years down the road, further down the road than you. And I, I, yeah. I still feel the same. So, yeah. And I think you start to realize that that's always going to be there and you just get better at mitigating those feelings and just doing. So we were talking about another photographer that you've worked with a lot at nations who just does and does and does. And I think that's kind of what you need in these kind of, uh, yeah environments is you need to be a little you can be scared but have some courage in what you're doing and just go for it right right just so whatever's on your whatever's in front of you try to tackle it and then you know you'll have another challenge in front of you right after you finish that and that's the fun of it you know it is one of our mores our our values here at nations is uh life risk Mm -hmm. and we believe that 
it's an honor to risk our lives to tell the stories of those who are risking their lives being about God's business, basically. And so people like Dave, it's like Dave, he's not doing what he's doing just to be cavalier, to be a hero. Like he's doing it because God has placed him there and called him there and equipped him. And uh, it's an honor to get to kind of go join Dave in those those places. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, never... Nonetheless, it's it's always a little bit a little bit scary, but I think that's the point: is your willingness to go. I'm, yeah, this is a this is a worthy calling. It's it's my art in creating this is is going to have an impact on people's life, and that's that's ultimately I think very very important. Yeah, totally. And I think uh, like you brought up Dave, and I think it kind of aligns with being a conflict photographer. Is it's okay if your calling is is in an area like people love talking about is conflict photography. Is it ethical? Like, is yeah. it right? You know, there's a lot of thoughts like, should I be doing this? And especially right. I'd assume like as a soldier, it's probably 10 times worse. Sure. You know, like, should I be fighting this person in right. front of me? Like, um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's okay to have your calling. And, you know, like, I think if you're doing it, like you said, Dave is praising God every two seconds, you know, yeah. he's praying and he's praising God for yeah. every single thing that, that comes in front of us when we're on that trip. Right. So, I think I think there's go with your calling and don't be don't be afraid or don't be ashamed. I think that's I think there's a good way to do everything, you know. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Well yeah, Stanton, well thank you for uh thank you for the coffee. This is good. Little little taste of uh Southeast Asia. Cheers. And uh thank you for this discussion. Um it's uh it's important to reconnect with calling. I found that in kind of my stage of life like I still want to be as passionate as Dave and as passionate as you and uh it's good to be able to like you know retake those risks of going to tough places and your adrenaline pumping your heart beating and uh and diving into situations where failure is a possibility and uh yeah I've enjoyed this conversation thanks for being here man yeah thank All you right, this is awesome care.